Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. When outgoing 1st District Congressman Bobby Rush announced he wouldn't run again, we told you there would be a heated race for his seat. There are some big names either already in the race or reportedly close to jumping in. But this weekend, we're going to talk with the woman Congressman Rush believes should succeed him. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. Karen Norrington Reeves has been described as a political novice, a newcomer, but regular listeners of this program have known her for years. She's currently on leave from the job that brought her to our attention as CEO of the Chicago Cook Workforce Partnership. That's the jobs and job training arm of local government and a genuine area of close cooperation between the Lori Lightfoot and Tony Preckwinkle administrations. Karen Norrington Reeves is a lawyer who has worked in the Maryland Attorney General's Office, the Justice Department, and the Citizens Utility Board. She was a deputy director for the Illinois Department of Commerce and Economic Opportunity, and she also headed Cook County Works, the Suburban Workforce Development Agency. Uh, Karen was poised to announce her candidacy even as Bobby Rush announced he was stepping aside. In fact, she kicked off her campaign that weekend. We're going to talk about her decision, her plans, and the race in this half hour. Uh, We are speaking with Karen via Zoom conferencing. And Karen Norrington-Reeves, welcome back. Thank you for having me, Craig. It's so good to be with you and your listeners again. Well, and it's great to have you. Uh, You have been in public service for a while, but not public office. So what do you say to those people who might suggest you lack experience? Well, what I say is this. For the past decade, I have navigated both sides of the fifth floor, meaning the mayor's office and the president's office and all of the issues in between and around. And anyone who can navigate that and all of the elected officials that are attached to both of those halls, uh, I think can navigate Congress and navigate um, managing being a public policy maker. I've been adjacent to public policy and I've been someone who's had to implement uh, public policy uh, for a number of years and I've been a public servant for 30 years. And so while I may be new to being a lawmaker, I am certainly not new to upholding the laws that are created by lawmakers. And I wanna talk a little bit about that uh, city county thing uh, because working for the city and county simultaneously, and we talked about this several times, Yes. Uh, from from the start, 
uh, when Rahm Emanuel and Tony Preckwinkle clearly did not get along, what was what's the secret for being able to operate uh, either above or between <laughs> those those entities and the conflicts that uh, naturally come there? So for me, the secret is about relationship building and recognizing and honoring each of those relationships uh, in its own right. Um, but then also I had a responsibility to help them understand the things that I was the steward for. So with respect to workforce development, I had a lot of federal regulations that I had to be compliant with. And I was able to navigate in terms of their relationships because I wasn't, uh, you know, I was neither fish nor fowl in lots of ways. I was simply responsible for my work and it wasn't about their political leanings either way. It was about service to the people. And so I was able to navigate that, number one, by building good relationships with either the mayor or the president um, and their staff, and also by having the solid relationships with the various regulators with the state and with the, the Department of Labor, and also ultimately focusing on being of service to the people. I really did not get wrapped up in the politics or the emotions or the personalities. I focused on service to the people. And presumably, if the job continued to uh, get done, uh, both sides pretty much left you alone. Yes. I mean, we had, you know, in the early days, there was uh, a lot of activity and a lot of engagement and a lot of meetings, um, more meetings than I care to recount. Um, and so, you know, over the past 10 years, as I've proven myself, I think it also helps that I have built a national reputation for the Chicago Cook Workforce Partnership and built a national reputation for myself as a workforce development expert. Uh, and I've been dependable. I've delivered on what's been asked of me and honestly exceeded all of the expectations for that organization by bringing in additional funding, by uh, stretching out, expanding you know, some of the, uh, the reach of the program. So programs that were in existence in Northern Cook County that were not accessible to people in the city of Chicago or not accessible to people in Southern Cook County, I was able to bring those throughout the entire county. I've raised uh, with, with obviously with the support of my team, we brought in uh, just around $128 million in unrestricted funds uh, to develop additional programs. We successfully have placed in employment nearly 100,000 people. We've worked with more than 2,000 companies. And so, you know, part of navigating those relationships is about delivering on the promise of solid, good work that makes an impact in both the private sector and for our job seekers. Can you talk a little bit about uh, the kind of contact? I mean, anyone who's dealing with jobs programs has to have some contact with the federal government, but yeah. how much did there have to be? And then how does that help you in what you're trying to do now? Well, I don't think that it bears, uh, you know, a ton of um influence with respect to the federal government uh, necessarily. Um, but, but the work that I had to do started out very heavily in, with federal funding. So we launched with a $3 million cash advance on our $30 million budget, and it was exclusively federal funding. And so we grew our diversity such that last year, 
the WIOA funding, which is the Workforce Innovation Opportunity Act, the primary vehicle for job training funding in, in the country. Um, so last year, we diversified our funds and actually increased our revenue by 41%, which was significant. Um, and the majority of that came from the nearly $60 million contract we got with the city of Chicago to do the contact tracing core. So what we've done over the years is just continuously grow the diversity of our funding. Um, you know, in terms of how the impact with respect to me running for Congress, the reality is I have significant experience in navigating uh, federal agencies. And so there's something to be said in terms of my record there. And I also have an intimate knowledge and understanding of, of federal policy vis-a-vis -vis workforce development and, and a number of other another a number of other areas in which I've had expertise over the past several years. Um, I want to uh, look back at one other thing uh, before we start to look forward, and that is that you ran for the Chicago City Council back in 2007. Mm -hmm. um, what did you learn from that race? <laughs> well, I learned that uh, endorsements from the Tribune and the Sun-Times didn't necessarily translate into votes, uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> right? Um, I learned that getting out and meeting people connecting with them, listening to them, sharing my personal story with them was really, really impactful. So, you know, the precinct that I carried was the precinct in which I, I reside and where my neighbors got out and talked to other people. Um, but there were so many people who would say to me, I'm voting for you because you're the, you're the first person to ever knock on my door, right? And so because they made that personal connection, it mattered. Uh, the other thing I, I learned was something that my mother's always emphasized was just the importance of connecting with human beings, building relationships. I actually had a call this morning with a woman that I met when I campaigned 15 years ago. I still am close to many of the people who volunteered for my campaign then, and those folks are showing up now and wanting to volunteer and support me now. And so relationships are critical. They are really just the key to, to all, all success. Um, the other thing I learned from that race was just about uh, accessing funds and, and accessing you know, an, an apparatus. And I didn't have that then. It was very much a political neophyte. I ran based on community members asking me to do so. Uh, but you know, 15 years, you get to grow a lot and build a, a significant network. And so I am not who I was then uh, in terms of my political awareness and acumen. Uh, bread and butter question. Do you live in the district now? I absolutely do. I live in the Chatham community, which is smack dab in the middle of the vote rich area of the district, for sure. Okay. Uh, you first worked with uh, Congressman Rush after a uh, school teacher in Chatham, Betty Howard, was uh, killed by gunfire. Uh, yes. Can you talk a little bit about that and 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 what you were able to do there, but also how you see that kind of work continuing if you go to Capitol Hill. Oh, Craig, it sounds like you're saying I should stay where I am so I can continue to do great work. I just... <laughs> <No>. <laughs> that was not the intent, but... Uh... Okay, all right, Don't, let's not do that. So, okay, here's how things started. Back in June of 2014, Congre I, I actually received a call from, from Kurt Summers, who was then the city treasurer, saying that I had to be at this meeting. Uh, actually, he wasn't the city treasurer yet. I'm sorry. He was uh, chief of staff to President Preppenko. And so he, he said, you know, you've got to be at this meeting. 
uh, tomorrow morning that Congressman Rush is convening. And so I go to the meeting and the Congressman issues this call to arms, if you will. And he says, listen, there's so much violence racking this community. At that time, that beat was the single most violent beat in the, in the city. And he said, uh, you know, I want to challenge everybody to bring their skills and their talents to bear to really shift this. This community had been a destination community, a middle-class African-American community, and we've got to regain that, right? And so um, he asked for everyone to, to step up. And so I stepped up by saying, I could bring more workforce development resources, even a center, if we had a physical space in which to provide those services. And so I became the uh, co-chair of the workforce committee. Uh, there are a number of things that grew out of that meeting, one of which was uh, the effort to create sort of a quality of life plan, similar to what LISC had done in other areas of the city. And so I was the, the co-chair for workforce development committee. And then it just morphed into uh, what became the Greater Chatham Initiative, the actual nonprofit. There was a, a quality of life plan essentially that was written and I was responsible for doing a lot of review and input in that. And um, you know, from there, really, I learned that this building had been, you know, that had been vacant for a long time, was available, and um, put together a number of investors to try and obtain that building in order to create, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> excuse me, in order to create a workforce center, and ultimately was able to do that with the support of uh, private sector investment and um, the the Sarowitz family was able to come in and purchase the building for us. They remodeled it. Uh, we also got some foundation support to sponsor uh, different rooms within the center and it opened last January. Yeah, and and the, uh, the impetus of my, of my question was really, it's not just what your part of it was, but what Congressman Rush's part of it was. And, and the kinds of things that you see Congress member being able to do that may not be an automatic, uh, you know, oh, yeah, of course. I mean, Congress can't do everything. But in this case, Congress did something Congress didn't normally do. Right. And so uh, so a couple of things. And I apologize for getting far afield there on the last question. No, that's OK. Uh, I mean, that so wasn't far afield. It was good to know how, how you did that. Well, and it's interesting because he reminded me yesterday that we took it a step further, that after that, his office asked my team to do a hiring event because we, we do hiring events for numerous people. Robin Kelly, we've done them for, I mean, lots of elected officials. We've done them with President Preckwinkle, with, with many others. And so we actually did a hiring event at Hirsch High School not long after that initial convening back in June of, of 2014. Um, and so what I think it, it demonstrates is, is that you can't just hold office and expect that you're going to be focused on uh, crafting legislation and weighing in on, 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 on bills. That it's really about how do you serve your community in innovative ways? How do you cut through the noise to be able to address the needs that, that actually exist? And from my perspective, and I've seen this bear out time and time again over the past decade plus, government can't do it all. Private sector can't do it all. It is really about public-private cooperation, that is what is going to be the key lever in shifting what's happening, shifting the landscape, if you will, 
in our communities of need. And I think it's an opportunity for you know, government to get creative and be more um, you know, problem oriented that moves away uh, from some of the constraints that you see with government funding. Uh, and then you've got you know, the private sector and certainly you wanna be mindful of the fact that you've, you're navigating some regulatory relationships there's still a way to bring all those parties together and uh, provide the impetus and the catalyst for them to do really good things. And so that's what the what the, the congressman was able to effectuate by calling that meeting together. You're listening to WBBM News Radio's At Issue. I'm Craig Delamore. My guest is Karen Norrington-Reeves, Democratic candidate for the congressional seat held by Bobby Rush. He is not running for re-election and thinks she would be the best replacement. Uh, that district stretches from Chicago's south side further south, almost, I'm, I'm not sure whether it actually touches Kankakee, but it, it gets down there. And then west to Chanahan. Chanahan is conservative Republican Congressman Adam Kinzinger's territory under the old map. How can you represent all those areas? So I like to say that the district runs from Bronzeville to Bourbonnais and Shanahan to Chatham, right? <laughs> it's in every, every place in between. And I think the way that you represent all of those interests is again, by connecting with people, listening to them, finding the points of commonality. At the end of the day, all of us want to live in safe, thriving communities. We all want solid education for our children. We all want the opportunity to thrive in whatever our chosen vocation is. And so if you're a business owner, you want your business to be competitive, you want to have a solid labor force, and you want to be able to be successful. And you want to be able to amass wealth and support yourself and, and create something that you can leave behind for your family. That to me, Craig, cuts across race, ethnicity, Democratic, uh, Republican party affiliation. At the end of the day, it is about connecting to one another, soul to soul, human to human, and finding those points of commonality and then supporting people in, in, in those ways. Um, that may sound altruistic. It may sound naive. It is not at all. It is what I've seen work time and time again in, in my service over the past 30 years. Uh, tell me about some of your priorities. What's, what's at the top of your to-do list uh, on Capitol Hill? The top of my to-do list is focusing on the needs of working families. And so that there's a, a huge, um, you know, bucket of things uh, with, within that. There's a, a number of issues that pertain to the success of working families. It's about childcare costs and paid family leave. It's about safety of our communities and that includes gun safety. I, I continue to say there is no earthly reason for a civilian to walk the streets with a military grade weapon other than to visit death and destruction upon others. And that we have got to take uh, more, more strict uh, gun control measures. I'm not saying that we abridge people's second degree, uh, second degree, second amendment rights. I am saying, however, that there's got to be some um, reason and, and, 
rationale around how we uh, ensure that people still have access to their rights and balance that with the need for people to live safe and free from the gun violence that we see. Uh, I also am a huge proponent of universal basic income. And uh, when I drive the streets of the city, walk the streets of the city and see the number of homeless encampments that we have throughout the city, there's no reason why in you know, one of the world's most prosperous, prosperous nations that we um, have not licked this problem, right? And so those are some of the things that are of uh, great importance to me. Another issue is around protecting women's reproductive health and reproductive rights. You know, we just recently had arguments before the Supreme Court from cases from Texas and Mississippi, and uh, I am horrified by the prospect of rolling back Roe v. Wade. Uh, I know that that may not, may not play well in some parts of the district. That is, that is something I am personally um, focused on and, 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 and motivated by. And so those are just a number of the issues that are of great concern and importance to me. They're also the issues that I hear from community members. What more could Congress be doing in education? Is that especially these days we're hearing a lot about schools, mostly whether they stay open or not, but, uh, but there are obviously other things to consider. Well, a lot of what, you know, for me, education is not just um, that K through 12 space. It's also this space around uh, community colleges and sort of this whole reinvention around workforce development has put a lot onto community colleges that I'm not sure actually belongs there. On the K through 12 space, let me just get a little personal here. Um, Craig, I don't know if you know this, but you know, five years ago, I adopted my daughter uh, from Haiti. I had met her <clears throat> first and then decided to adopt her. And my daughter was born without eyes. Hmm. And I have for the past five and a half years had to fight to get her the quality education that she is legally entitled to as a student with a disability. And it just shouldn't be this hard to have our special needs kids be integrated into, um, you know, mainstreamed in class to receive all of the supports that they need. I have lived through having both of my children have to be educated remotely over the past two years. And I've watched the stress and strain. I, my joke is that thank God that they each went through their own sort of uh, you know, challenges about this situation at two different times because had they both been going through things at the same time, I might have lost my mind. <laughs> uh, but just watching the, the struggle that I've seen myself have that I have had you know, validated and affirmed by friends and colleagues the challenges that we've seen with making sure that our kids have had quality education. My son's a junior in high school and he has ha not had a normal school year since eighth grade, right? So he's never had a normal full year of high school. His high school experience has just been, been wrecked. Now, obviously we've had a global pandemic, but there are lots of ways that our, our school system has not been able to pivot and respond to the needs of our kids. And I, you know, I, I jokingly say we've got a, a pandemic psychosis. And what, what I really mean is that 
the stress and the strain that our kids have been under in the context of this pandemic, I think has gone um, sort of just not quite detected or, or sort of has been dismissed in a lot of ways. And it's been a lot harder for our kids than we've acknowledged, but particularly for our children with special needs, many of whom were not able to get a solid quality education while being, uh, being remote. So, um, you know, there's a lot that we need to do to ensure equity and parity within our schools for all children, um, because we already know that the schools that were already underfunded and understaffed have just gone down even more as a result of the pandemic. So there's, there's more that we need to do to shore up those schools and provide comprehensive services. I can't let you uh, get out of here without talking pure politics uh, for a little bit anyway, with a few minutes we have left. This is a hot seat in more ways than one. Um, and, and the field's already crowded in addition to some candidates arguably less well-known than you. There's uh, Alderwoman Pat Dowell who shifted her statewide campaign uh, for Secretary of State to a congressional bid. Um, she comes in with funding, an organization, and support from some Democratic uh, regulars. Uh, do you have to play catch up getting into the race now? Well, listen, I, I, I was in this race before it was a thought for Pat. Uh, and with all due respect, I, I've known Pat for a number of years. We both ran for city council at the same time back in 2007 and met on the campaign trail then. Uh, and I have respect for her as an alderman and she's, you know, she's a lovely person. That being said, I, and you tell me if I'm wrong, but I've never seen anyone switch from one race to another and be successful on that second one. Um, you know, what it, what it signals is the person is looking for higher office and that they're dissatisfied with the office they're currently in. Um, and so I don't feel that I'm paying, playing catch up. I am very much focused on this race. Uh, she's got to run her best race. I have to run my best race. And what's for me is for me. What's for her is for her. That's really my attitude about it. I have to uh, get my message out to voters and I have to mind my connections and my relationships. I have relationships she doesn't have and vice versa. And I've got to leverage those and turn those into a win. That's that's just the bottom line. Uh, there are also some uh, reports suggesting State Senator Jacqueline Collins will also get into the race. She has a high, fairly high profile on the South Side. And full disclosure, she once worked for WBBM uh, mm -hmm. News Radio. She was uh, an engineer here. Um, and like me, she's a Northwestern alum and she is an absolutely lovely person. Uh, and, and, you know, it's my understanding she's circulating petitions in two races right now. So that indicates to me that she's not quite made up her mind one way or the other. Um, and again, my, my thoughts with respect to, to Senator Collins, who, you know, lovely person. Uh, again, I have to run my race. They have to run theirs. I know what I bring to the table. Uh, no one has my record of job creation. No one has my record of uh, solid engagement with the private sector that I've built over the past decade plus. And I'm running on my record and, and what I know I can bring to Congress. Um, and is that how you will be able to break out of what could be a crowded pack? Because some of it's going to have to do with who captures people's imagination, attention or whatever, especially if it's like five or six people running. 
Right. Certainly. I mean, listen, when when Robin Kelly ran back in 2013, there were, uh, you know, 20 some odd people in the race. When uh, when Mayor Lightfoot ran, uh, there were 21 folks in the race and 14 that wound up on the ballot. So and and there were lots of stunners and surprises that happened during that time. Uh, I, I don't think that where we are now is where we're going to end up. I think that uh, there's a lot of noise out there about who's going to enter. We'll know for sure who's on the ballot sometime in March. And so, you know, right now it's just a lot of speculation. At the end of the day, those of us who are going to be in this race have to run our best race. And as I said, what's for me is for me and what's for them is for them. Uh, and I, I have to say, in addition to the record that I have, I'm also the only one with the endorsement of the congressman. And that does carry weight with the voters. And there are some other choice endorsements that are coming down the pipe. So you'll, you'll hear, hear about those soon. Well, and we will stay tuned. I would like to thank Karen Norrington Reeves, uh, the Democratic candidate for Congress in the first district for spending time with us. Uh, to our listeners, if you would like a copy of this program or to hear it again, please visit our website at wbbmnewsradio.com. There's a link on the homepage. You can also find our podcast on odyssey.com. We'll be back next week with another edition of that issue, and I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 780 and 105.9 WBBM. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, oh, oh.